Welcome to the Events Podcast, a show that summarizes the best talks at Vancouver events. I'm your host, Samantha Ming. This is part three of the Startup Sprint event. In this episode, we have lawyers Steve and John from Faskin Martineau talking about corporate structure. I'm flying high, but I've got a feeling I'm falling, falling for nobody else but you. You caught my eye, and I've got a feeling I'm falling. Show me the ring, and I'll jump right through. But first, a disclaimer. Contents of this episode has been prepared for informational purposes and it is not intended to replace legal advice. You should always consult with your own legal advisors before relying or acting upon this information. Sorry folks, I had to add that in. When it comes to legal stuff, always tread carefully, am I right? Alright, let's get back to the show. In this first clip, John is going to talk about the options for setting up your business. This includes proprietorships, partnerships, limited partnerships, and corporation. Let's start with proprietorships. Proprietorship, almost never a sole proprietorship is almost never a good idea. You are 100% liable for the debts of the business or for any (coughs) mishaps in the business. It's you taking the personal liability. It's not a structure you can finance into. Other than people just giving you personal loans that you guarantee that you can't give anybody an equity interest in sole proprietorships, so very rarely a good idea. There's partnerships. Partnerships, also very rarely a good idea for a startup. In this case, both the partners are 100% liable for the debts of the organization. You don't have limited liability in a partnership, so cross that off your list if if you're wanting to set up um, a company that's, again, that people are going to invest in. People wouldn't want to invest into a a, part, a partnership where somebody else was making the decisions and they were liable. There's also limited partnerships. Limited partnerships are slightly better. In limited partnerships, you have a corporation take on the liability structure and the partners can invest but not be liable. The, they're typically good for businesses where you're just flowing income up to people. When, when you know, if you had a royalty business or something like that, you're not actually doing active business operations within the structure. You can just flow income out to the partners and they, they, they just pay their own tax rate for it rather than paying corporate tax. And finally, we have corporations. Companies, certainly for, for active businesses, are almost always the way to go. If somebody, you know, if somebody tells you a limited partnership, it's normally because there's a, a specific aspect of the business that makes sense to do it, where it's, you know, it's a real estate investment and you just bought the property and you're not actually running a business. For businesses, corporations are the way to go. So both Steve and John recommend incorporating your business. And the remainder of their talk will be for corporations. In a corporate structure, there are the shareholders, directors, officers, and employees. Let's start with the shareholders. So corporations, and you can see on the slide, you've got your shareholders at the top. They provide the money. They have no liability. They have certain rights and restrictions, uh, or certain rights, that you, uh, both at law in terms of voting for the board of directors, and then also if you're going with outside investors, they're going to want a shareholders agreement that gives them some additional rights, that maybe to approve the budget of the company, different things. But shareholders are a step removed from management. They're they're the ones that sort of sit outside the box. They have the, the beneficial interest in the product, or you know, in the in the value of the company but they're not the ones that are taking on risk or you know, conducting day-to-day operations, typically. Next, we have the directors. The shareholders elect the board of directors. 
every company needs, well, you don't need a board of directors, but every company needs at least one director. Directors are always individuals. I, sometimes you know, people will come, oh, we want this corporation to be the director of the company. It doesn't work that way. It has to be a person. Directors are responsible for supervising the management of the company, and they've got fiduciary duties to the shareholders and to the corporation. And then we have the officers. Officers is the next level down, and those aren't required. I, most companies typically have officers, but the minimum requirement for having a corporation in Canada is you need one director and one shareholder. So the shareholders will elect the directors, the directors will then hire the officers, and the officers will hire the employees. And that forms your basic corporate hierarchy. Outside the bubble of your directors, officers and employees, you can have an advisory panel. Sometimes you hear about people having an advisory, they often use the word advisory board. Typically that's not the board of the directors of the company, it's just you know, a group of consultants that provide guidance, typically at the compensation of stock options. But it's, it normally needs to be distinguished with the actual board of directors, who are directors of the company, have fiduciary duties to the company, and have obligations under the statute. When selecting a director, it has to be a person. But when it comes to shareholders, it can be a person, a company, or an institution. And you can have as many shareholders as you want. But there is one thing you need to keep in mind of. Very important to know in, well, in Canada, the rules change when you cross over from 50 shareholders. So if you're under 50 shareholders, you're sort of within one set of rules where there's less disclosure of fundraising to the securities commissions. There's a number of sort of exemptions for transactions, with like takeover bids or issuer bids, things like that, that when you're under 50 shareholders, they sort of put you in one category where you can do a lot of things uh, without seeking further approvals. When you move above 50 shareholders, you're filing reports for, with the Securities Commission when you do financing. You don't have some of the typical exemptions for takeover bids, and you have to go through a more formal process. So over 50 shareholders doesn't make you a public company, but it, it does take you out of the private company. And it's, it's just you're, you're no longer a private, uh, sorry, no longer a private issuer, which um, has some benefits under securities law. So, you know, if it was the difference between 49 and 50 shareholders, I'd keep it at 49 for a while. If it's worth it to go over 50 because the check's the right size or the opportunity's right, go for it. But just be aware that there is a consequence to going over that, that 50 shareholder limit. And it's, it's, it's an administrative uh, consequence. It's, they'll, they'll just be more work, more compliance, that sort of thing. If you're a shareholder, an important thing is preemptive rights. A very important thing for a shareholder coming in is preemptive rights. And this, this is how you don't get diluted. So if, if I wrote a check to, to you guys, or you know, one of you, for $10,000 at a dollar a share, that's all great. If you turn around and you know, a week later and issue somebody a million shares at 10 cents, then my investment's just gone up in smoke, right? I, it's been completely diluted. So if you're coming in as a minority participant, you want to have preemptive rights. So if they do that share issuance at a, a diluted thing, you get to the right to participate and keep your pro rata share of those penny shares uh, and not go down. So don't forget about that one. Make sure if, if you're investing and that you're going to get preemptive rights and you want those in a shareholder's agreement. And if you're the one issuing the shares, make sure you can always get it back. Steve explains. The other thing from the company's side is you never want to issue shares without a way to get them back if you have to. So you, what the worst thing you can do is be in a situation where 
so-and-so, you know, Microsoft came and wanted to buy my company. Everybody wants it, but we've got this one shareholder that doesn't like it and he's holding up the deal and he won't sell his shares and he thinks they're undervalued, but he doesn't know what's going on. So in, anytime you have minority shareholders, put in agreements so you can deal with them. You have, in a shareholder agreement or voting trust, you have drag-along rights. Very typical, very important. If 50% or 60%, whatever it is, want to sell their shares, they can pull everybody else along with them. And very, very important. If you have stock options that you're granting out, those can be even worse because that's just a contract. And if, if the person, if you, if you granted somebody a stock option and Microsoft comes and wants to buy your company, they're not going to want to buy a company that has, you know, somebody can exercise a stock option two years later when they think they're owning 100%. So in the stock options, you need to put in something that accelerates them on a change of control. They, you know, if they're going to exercise, they've, they've got five days notice, you exercise or they're done. Um, so always, you know, every time you're issuing a security or a right to security, you got to think about how you're going to call, call it back if you have to, or how you're going to force them into the deal that you're going to want to do. So. Warrant certificates, same thing. Need to have something in there that has a right, has a way to deal with them. So, you know, issuing stock is great, but never do it without thinking about how you're going to get it back if you have to. And repurchase rights in certain circumstances. If it's an employee, if they leave, it's a repurchase right in your stock option or in your shareholder agreement. Stock options terminate on, you know, if somebody leaves. You've got to deal with all those sorts of particulars every time you issue shares or else you could be in a situation where, and we see it, you know, normally after the fact, where it's, oh, you know, we want, we've got this great thing, we've got these two disgruntled shareholders, they're holding everything up, how are we going to deal with them? And you basically have to negotiate with them and how fun is it negotiating with somebody that has leverage? You know, so. Be careful. Make sure you, you're thinking about who you're giving it to and how you're going to get back if you need to. And when it comes to employees, you need to be mindful of the intellectual property. A couple of things to be very conscious of is in the, in the technology world, people have personal rights to intellectual property that's created, even if it's created while they're at work. So. Every technology company in your employment agreements have an assignment of IP, assignment of moral rights. It's, if you miss out on this, and we've dealt with you know, companies where they're on an exit, and you know, again, the, you know, the Microsoft or whoever coming in and saying, where's your agreements with all your employees that shows that they've assigned their rights in the IP? You know, how are we gonna be comfortable that you truly own it when they haven't assigned it? So make sure all your employment agreements with the employees, they're assigning all the rights to the IP that created, to the company. If you don't do that, there's always going to be a doubt. Also, don't forget to include a non-compete and non-solicitation in your employee agreement. You want confidentiality obligations in the employment agreement. You want a non-compete. Uh, the thing with non-competes, you got to be aware of the shorter the time period that you, you know, six months or whatever, the shorter the time period, the more likely it's going to be enforceable. So if you say like, oh, we've got a non-comp and it's going to be 10 years, so we never have to worry about the guy. That's, the courts will never enforce that. If you, you've got to have it, you know, it's got to be prescribed in terms of time and location. You know, if, if your business is in BC, maybe you can get away with one year, can't compete in BC. If it's, you know, anywhere in the world and it's a long period of time, forget it. So, you know, what I guess, don't overreach on those. Don't overreach. Make sure you're thinking, you know, it's got to be tied into the business. So if, if you're like, okay, well, we're in BC and we're in Washington State and that's kind of where we are at, 
put it put it in there. Don't overreach, or else you've pretty much blown up the agreement. Non-solicitation again. You don't want people exiting and going after your customers. Put something in there about that. Just you know, don't don't forget about these things. You can also contract for sort of severance entitlements. You can't contract below the minimum, and the, the Employment Standards Act prescribes a minimum, and you can't contract below that. But if you don't have anything in there, and you, they went to court, the court may not give them the minimum. They may give them much more than the minimum because they said you know they they you know contributed so much or they've this role you know is so important or whatnot. So. If you put in the contract, you're going to have certainty. Put in the contract. We agree that on you know on termination, you'll have severance in accordance with the Employment Standards Act. You've locked it in. If you don't do that, you're you're rolling the dice. If it if it if it did go to court, because um, it's you know it's subject to the court's discretion of what's appropriate. And that's the end of the talk. But don't go yet. My review is up next. Stuff is never the fun stuff, but if you don't do it right, it can ruin the fun. My biggest takeaway from the talk is learning about repurchasing of shares. When you issue a share, make sure you have a way to get it back. I'm like Oprah: you get a share, you get a share, you get a share, everyone gets a share. That's fine, but make sure you have a way to get it back. There's going to be a time when you need to make a decision that might not reach any consensus. Perhaps you need to pivot your business. Everyone is going to have their own opinion, and you need to make that executive decision in order to move the company forward. So make sure you account for that in your shareholders' agreement. Thanks for listening to the events podcast. Do you want to be featured on the show? If you're giving out a talk at a Vancouver event, email me eventspodcast@gmail.com. And if you've been enjoying the show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. I'm Samantha Ming, and thank you for tuning in. The good of the people is the greatest law.